This podcast is produced by Arts Council England. For more content like this, visit artscouncil.org.uk or soundcloud.com forward slash Arts Council England. I'm going to, as uh, Anthony said, talk to you a little bit about um, uh, IWM and uh, some of the changes that have happened over the last three years um, and particularly around our approach to collections and rights. Um, just a little bit about me, just to clear up. I'm, I'm head of digital media. I've been uh, head of the department uh, for just three years, which is how long the department's been in existence. Um, we're responsible for all of the public-facing digital outputs across the museum. So that's the website, in-gallery multimedia, mobile, social media, and strategic digital partnerships with third parties. I wanted to be very clear, I'm not an expert on digital rights, and I'm not responsible for this area in the museum, but I am a key stakeholder. So I thought it might be interesting to, to look at it from that perspective. Um, what I'm going to cover uh, in, this, in this short talk is, is how IP and copyright has become a driver for change, and really the journey that we've been on over the past three years, and how the digital media department has contributed to that. And I think the approach that we've taken is applicable to small or large organizations, which I'll come to a bit later on. So really quickly, if you don't know IWM, uh, this is our flagship branch in Lambeth Road. This is uh, the Churchill War Rooms and Museum uh, under the, underneath the Treasury. Uh, HMS Belfast, the, one of the last surviving ships from D-Day. Uh, IWM North in Manchester and IWM Duxford, uh, the largest European aviation museum um, and also um, a heritage site with RAF bases uh, dating back to the First World War. So quite a um, challenging uh, organisation because obviously the five sites are all quite different. Um, the collection itself is vast and diverse. Um, it's the, we have the oldest film archive in the UK the second largest sound archive after the BBC, over 11 million photographs, the second largest contemporary art collection in the UK after Tate, millions of documents, diaries and papers, and over 140,000 large objects. Um, again, this is extremely, uh, extremely challenging and creates a very complex and complicated uh, rights picture. Um, when I joined IWO in 2009, just to paint the picture, um, there was no digital media department. Uh, there was an old website and collections online which was no longer fit for purpose. There was very little social media presence or any relationships with third party uh, sites. We, as I said, very complex IP and copyright issues. The organization was extremely risk averse in its approach to collections and quite naturally because of the sensitivity and, and challenge of the collections itself, so not unexpected. Um, and there was a lack of coordinated approach or strategy to managing digital rights across the organization. So what would happen very often is that you'd go to one curator and say, please, can I use this uh, photograph or something? And they'd go, no. And then you'd go to another one and they'd say, yeah, no, that's not a problem. So it was quite a difficult, um, uh, area to negotiate. Um, this was what it looked like, our collection search, when I joined. Um, you'd put in a, a keyword and, and search, you'd get, you'd get back a, a selection of thumbnails, you'd pick one and you'd get a 400 pixel image that was not, you were not able to click on um, and 
in, in the case of our art collection, it wasn't watermarked. In the case of, in the case of our photographs, they were heavily watermarked, uh, as, as was our film on our film sales site as well. So essentially, you had a picture there of, um, yes, you can see our collections, but actually we don't really want you to enjoy them in any way. Well, that is my take on it. Um, <laughs> We also, we also um, as I said, we didn't have any, any presence on other sites, but, but in 2010, it was the anniversary of the outbreak of the Second World War, and we wanted to use Google Maps because we had a, we've got a fantastic selection of Blitz photographs, which are, are, we can all, are all location-based. And we had to negotiate um, hard for several months to get 10 from the um, photo archive. And... Um, what was so fascinating was that we put them on, on embedded it in our site, asked, um, asked users to help us to identify where these uh, images were located, and within 20 minutes, we started to get responses. We went and showed this to our director general, and she said, that's brilliant. Why haven't we got more on there? So it was starting to see a shift there, and really, really important. I guess the first thing is to have that buy-in from the top of the organization um, to, to enable these things to happen. So what did we do to, to, to enable change? What did we do? There we go. We began to develop, develop requirements for a new website and collection search in 2010. We carried out museum-wide workshops to engage staff with a new website. And during that, uh, the course of those workshops, we asked staff, um, you know, what, what would you like to see in the, in the new IWM website? What impact do you think this is going to have on your work? Um, and, and, and changes in the way that you might work. And we got an incredible response, overwhelming response from curators, which was, we want people to see our collections. We want people to understand the incredible uh, range that we have. And we, um, and we want people to be able to see this in all sorts of different places. Um, we published a digital strategy and this was the aspiration of opening up our collections and, and encouraging active participation with our audiences. And we formed a copyright group, which consisted of key stakeholders, because what happened was that as, 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 as the curators and other people across the organization were saying, we want people to know more about IWM and its collections all around the world, we realized that we then had to sort out our rights and IP issues, and that we had to do this under the framework of a digital strategy. So we formalized the, proce the processes and an approach to IP and copyright, and we began that work really at the beginning of 2010. This is basically the way we're set up. We have a digital and assets are managed by our collections management department, and as, as Tom alluded to, we have that, that t t dual remit really of um, being able to fulfill the um, public program and the public access remit, but also our commercial activity. So this is our new website, and as you can see, it's, it's um, heavily driven by the collections, and it's at the heart of everything that we do. And we built our collections online so that it's fully in integrated into our, our, in, into our collections and is not a separate website. This is a collections page, and you can see again that we've increased the size of the images. We've allowed people to click on them so that they get a larger one. We, you can't see it there, but we've introduced related tags, related events, related location, so that essentially in the old website, once you saw an object, the image stopped, the, your journey stopped, and now you have really a never-ending journey in which you can get lost in our collections. And at the bottom there, you've also got related items. 
And there you can see the images in, in all their glory, and we've also got rid of all the watermarking. All of this was done with the copyright group um, through the workshops, which had given us a mandate to say, yes, we want you to do this. So it was really, this is all about just reflecting back what the organization had asked us to do, even if they didn't really know that's what they were doing. Um, we also created a, a, a something called Collections in Context article, so again, using our collections to drive the story of, the, of uh, different themes and topics within the museum, all collections-led, all leading to image pages where you can not, not only license the, um, license the images, but if you want to, you can go to a separate sales site to buy them. This is the next iteration of our website, which is um, the introduction of something called social interpretation. And this is going to allow people to be able to curate their collections, um, get into conversations with other users and us, and comment, and, um, and to essentially um, create or make our objects social in, in, in some way. This is an Esther R&D project, funded project, so people can collect their make their collections here. Um, we're replicating this in the gallery spaces as well as on a mobile app. So the idea being that we're going to join seamlessly, I hope, um, uh, the uh, on-site and off-site experience in terms of the way people interact with our collections, not just when they visit, but around the world. We've also gone on and done some more social media activities, so things like Faces of the First World War. This was an activity on Flickr that launched last uh, November around Armistice Day. Um, we put up 100 photographs from a collection that was, in fact, the very first things that the museum collected in 1917. These are images of soldiers who were serving in the First World War, and their families gave these uh, photographs to the museum to... Um, uh, in the hope that this would be documented and, um, and their memory saved. We put these photographs up, they've been recently digitized, and in the first weekend we got 1.5 million hits, as well as a lot of incredible engagement. We're also on History Pin, which is a, another third-party channel. We have films and photographs there. Again, opportunity for, for people to share and comment on our collections. Um, and we're also on Google Art Project, so we've put our collections there. Um, and this was an interesting one because this enabled us to put our collections in a higher resolution and a bigger size than on our website. And we, again, negotiated that through the copyright group. And that was agreed on the basis that, actually, nobody knows we've got the second largest contemporary art collection in the UK. And this was a great way for us to be able to showcase that collection and also for it to be sitting amongst other great uh, artworks and gallery institutions. We're also on, on the BBC Your Paintings, where I think we have about 2,000 artworks. So just to finish up, um, how, how did we make all that happen? We use projects to open up discussion and thinking, often at no extra cost. So the Flickr activity, the history pin, these are all things that got our collections out there at a fairly low, in a fairly low-risk way, um, and it enabled us really to move things on. We have involved and continue to involve staff throughout, so there is a sense of ownership around this. There are no surprises, and, and we are, I wouldn't say it's entirely, but we are certainly moving towards it being better embedded into people's work. We've ensured that there's a strategic body in place, so we have this copyright group to provide a framework for incremental change. 
and we've participated in these small low-risk activities to demonstrate worth and risk management. So we can say, fine, it didn't work, we'll take it down. And people seem to be okay with that. And we've also implemented technology that allows for organic growth in line with organizational needs. So as we change as an organization, we're able to then build on build and build on what we've done. And finally, where are we now? Um, we have an IP officer, and she has become, it has become a, a pivotal position in the museum. I call uh, what she does really being a change agent. Um, and I don't think three years ago that would have been um, really thought of at all. Um, IP and copyright is of interest to everybody in the organization. <coughs> it's not about three or four people who are responsible for it, or the curators that sit over there. I'm interested in it. Marketing are in interested in it. Exhibitions are interested in it. It's a museum-wide um, activity. It's become a real driver for change. So all of these things that we've done over the three years have been because we've opened up our collections and we've been allowed to do that. We need to keep reviewing the position and be flexible to adapt to the rapidly changing environment. It's hard to keep up. There's a lot of directives about. We're told a lot of things. And so it's important that we keep reviewing where we are and not get left behind. Opening up the collections has forced us to think about different business models and income generation. And I think it's a really positive change and really exciting and opportunity to be very creative about the way we use our collections and think about them. Our collection sales have risen since the launch of the new website and collection search and, and having more permissive rights. So that myth has gone. No one can say that anymore. And, no, and so we don't have that conversation anymore because we have proof now that that isn't going to be the problem. And finally, really importantly, as an organization, we have moved, and this is from the top of the organization down to through the curators, we have moved from being risk-averse to risk-aware, and this has up to opened up our thinking and created more opportunities for the organization. Thanks. Splendid. Thank you, Carolyn. <laughs> Come and have a seat. And while, uh, while, are you going up there, Charlie? Yeah. While Charlie gets ready, I just, um, I'm really interested in the IP officer. Yes. Um, and just sort of, uh, we'll come back to this no doubt later. So what kind of person do you hire to be an IP officer? And what does their day look like? Um, and can we meet this person? Um, you maybe talk to me about that afterwards. Okay. So I'm not asking for um, a date, it's just a kind of, you know. um, it's, it, I mean, I think it's, um, I think it's a, it's a really interesting position to be in in the, in, in the museum world at the right. moment. Because yeah. I think it... I think has been in the past a bit of a sidelined, you know, person in a dark room with lots of paper. Um, and I think increasingly what, what we're saying to our IP officer, and not just her, but other people who have a vested interest, that you need to get more involved in the business of the museum. Right. You need to understand what the museum is doing and how I want to use assets as opposed to how our commercial director wants to use them. Um, and uh, what are the risks associated with that? And actually, where is the real conflict? Right. Because actually, there is, often isn't really any. There's perceived conflict, but there really isn't. So there's a lot of explaining in her job, the, presumably. Yeah, and there's a lot of, of, you know, getting herself into the right meetings and talking to the right people. So she's gone onto the, onto the front foot, she, it, it, where that role might have been a sort of service job, yeah. clearing the rights for somebody who knows what they think they want. She's now sort of out on the front. And was this somebody who was in the organisation, or did you go and look for this person? Uh, no, we, we recruited this person. Okay. But that, in fact, when we've even since we've recruited her, I think the whole the job has changed. It's changed more. again. Yes. Let's come back to that later. All That's right. really interesting as to who has to do all this all day is fascinating. This podcast is produced by Arts Council England. 
For more content like this, visit artscouncil.org.uk or soundcloud.com forward slash artscouncilengland.